0: Yep, we're going to go out with a bang. This is the Joe Swanson Propaganda Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Kingpin Tattoo Supply, Waterloo Tattoo Workstations, and Hustle Butter Deluxe. I also want to shout out, and we're going to get to this a little bit later, but I want to shout out Sullen Clothing, and I'm going to tease that November 4th, Sullen Radio, which is my new art-driven podcast, is going to be dropping. So this right here is going to be... The last propaganda podcast for a little bit. It's still going to be distributed. I have a company now called Swanson Media. Um, it's going to distribute Sullen Radio. It's going to distribute the propaganda podcast. And, you know, I'm hoping to do some great things this next year, is talk to a lot of cool people, and keep bringing the kind of shit that I've been trying to bring to you guys positivity, innovation inspiration through the Propaganda podcast, and I want to bring that to you guys through Sullen Radio, and I hope you guys stick with it and continue to listen. I want to thank all the listeners of the Propaganda podcast for the last two years. I want to thank all my guests, because this show ain't shit without my guests, like this bad motherfucker right here, who came on my show, and we had a great conversation about a lot of innovative shit that's going on in tattooing, and I think we're about to do it again. So my guest today is none other than Russ Abbott. What's up, man?
1: Hey, how's it going, Joe? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. You know, the, our first conversation, which you can find on SoundCloud still, um, was a good one. You know, I think that what's cool about you, Russ, is you have this. You've been tattooing now, what, close to two decades? Yeah, like, 17 years, maybe. 17 years, getting, getting up there, and you continue to be innovative. You continue to be respected in the industry. How have you been able to combine those two things? You know, Because a lot of times the way that tattooers are, we tend to be very protective about our information. We be, we're very serious about it. And you've been able to not only release DVDs, release um, books, things like that, have a shop that's very successful, and you've done it at the forefront of innovation with our community and with our industry. How is that something that you had planned on doing from the beginning?
1: No, not at all. Um, it sort of happened organically. I remember, you know, I, I wanted to teach a seminar, you know, because I, I thought that I had something to offer. And that, you know, I, I had, had the opportunity to share some of the things that I was, you know, that, that were helping me in my tattooing with, other tattooers face to face, and I wanted to, you know, just branch out and get into the seminar thing, and uh, so I ended up reaching out to um, the guys that threw the uh, what was it called the Ybor City Tampa Tattoo Convention in Ybor City. Um, it was called the Cigar City Expo. I don't think they're doing it anymore, but I reached out to them for the first Cigar City Expo and. And I um, asked them if I could do a seminar and they said, sure thing, man. And I, so I, I was like, oh, great panic mode. And um, I started preparing all the, the seminar materials and, and trying to prepare. It was like an illustrative tattooing seminar where really at the time I, I just kind of threw a bunch of things in there that I thought were useful or helpful. And um, it was well received. I think I had maybe like 15 people take it and, and, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't shit my pants and I made it. So um, the very next morning, I checked my email and I had an email from Derb Morrison at Hell City, offering for me to um, do my seminar at Hell City. And then almost immediately after that, I heard from Gabe Ripley with the uh, the Paradise Tattoo Gathering. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like here I was on the seminar scene. And um, you know, it just it really just took that one little, you know, kind of gutsy move of reaching out and, and offering to do a seminar at a, at a first year convention that didn't really have. You know probably anyone else that they could tap for that, so um, so I did my first seminar and and then you know I did that same seminar again a couple of times that year and and I've done seminars at about half the shows that I've been to ever since then, so I think it's probably i don't know I haven't added it up in a while, but mm-hmm. it must have been at least six years ago that I did my first seminar
0: yeah what's that process been like you know it's now very common I mean we have with TattooNow.com, you have seminars online. You can take that stuff from your home. It used to be, I mean, I took plenty of, uh, a few seminars back in the day from Mike Malone and um, Dave Gibson, and guys like that. And I really enjoyed them. I, I still get stuff from them as I'm thinking about them. What was the process like for you as you got into it? Setting up those Setting up those seminars. What were the points that you wanted to get across to tattooers you know
1: well you know it's it's kind of a self gratifying process you know because you have to figure out how to tell other people things that you know (laughs) it's one of the hardest things to try to figure out like what are all the things that I know and how can I separate those out into things that other people don't know or that are they're less likely to know and so my approach has always been to try to throw every single aha moment that I have had during my my process of learning tattooing, you know, if, if I can recall any little thing that that helped me, That you know, after I realized this one thing, everything else changed, I try to just cram those into a seminar and that was my initial approach and, and I've refined it since then just based on what people seem to respond to and, you know, certainly there were things that I put in there that everyone kind of already knew and were just kind of boring for the audience, so... Um, over the years, I, I decided to just focus on color theory, and and make that my niche. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made the first, you know, tattooist color wheel a few years a few years back for my first tattooist palette seminar, and it was a real basic thing. But it was the idea, the the seedling of the idea that ultimately became the avid color wheel was there. You know, it was this idea of like putting tattoo inks on a color wheel so that you could start to make that relationship. Um, obvious but i didn't put a lot of tattooings on there i just chose the primary secondaries and tertiaries um which basically meant i was picking only the brightest colors that that eternal ink offered and putting them on a color wheel and leaving out a whole bunch of their line so um i don't know if i answered your question
0: yeah no it's it does it leads into you know the color wheel that you're doing now It stemmed from you're doing another Kickstarter. You did the first Kickstarter on your book. And I mean, all these projects kind of piggyback on each other. And uh, I think to a certain degree, because in the Color Palette seminar, I'm sure what resonated with the audience was those ideas that I need to be more familiar with the color wheel. I need to understand if I'm going to do this illustrative tattooing, combine these styles of American traditional and I've read that you've said it's a it's American traditional with a little realism and some new school thrown in there if I'm going to do this kind of style or implement these things into my own style what do I need to know I need to know more color theory and it makes sense because we do get into that habit of using those same seven eight colors or five six colors for every tattoo we maybe mix a a, a different shade of one or a different shade of the other. But ultimately, we have these tools that are accessible to us, and that's these, these large um, selection of inks, and you can use any of them. So this kind of quantifies everything into a, a, a real compact thing where an artist can say, all right, well, I want to do this in a contrasting theme, you know, and he can just... Boom, right there you have the mask on the color wheel. You can look at and whether you use eternal inks or not, there's other, I mean, I know Fusion, I mean Dermaglow, I know all these other companies make a shit ton of ink. You know, it's cool to be able to just mask it off and say these are what is gonna look good inside this tattoo, you know? And it right. it kind of cuts out some of that thought process. So yeah, I guess the 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 early part of the seminar series for you you've ultimately learned that, hey, this is something that people want, and you've built a product out of it, and that's fucking great because you're bringing new information into tattooing that is ultimately going to help tattooing, you know? And I don't know. It's cool to me. You want to get – we have the – I have set up to watch the – or listen to for people that haven't checked out the Kickstarter. I've set up – we we can listen to the video that you have on your Kickstarter and then we can talk about it a little more. I think it's an exciting project and I think it's something that not only the street tattooer that is working in a, in a street shop, but I think the custom tattooer who is working in a, you know, 100% custom shop can take advantage of. So. Right. I
1: think it's for everybody. Let's, let's do the, uh, show the Kickstarter video or let them, let them hear the audio. And then, um, I'll explain it some
0: more. Sounds good. And this was uh, this was a video produced by Sullen TV. Shout out to John Bayless. Here's Russ Abbott talking about the Abbott Color Wheel.
1: Hi, I'm Russ Abbott. I'd like to start by thanking everyone who supported my original Kickstarter for Ornamental Archive. The book is out now and it's doing great. Today, I'm excited to present a new project called the Abbott Color Wheel. When I started tattooing in 1997, the colors available to tattooists were much more limited than they are today. We had all of the basic colors, but if you wanted something like the color khaki, you had to mix that yourself. Well, thanks to great companies like Eternal Ink, we now have a wide gamut of colors to choose from. As I've worked with the colors and prepared seminar materials over the years, I've started classifying and sorting the available tattoo inks into categories. I found that by considering the precise hue, value, and saturation of the colors that I'm choosing, I can make more informed decisions and produce a finer tattoo. So last year, I decided to embark on a massive undertaking. I wanted to design the world's first complete color wheel for tattoo artists. Since I work exclusively with Eternal Ink, I chose to focus on their entire line of pigments. After countless iterations and design changes, we finally achieved a design that met my approval. The Abbott Color Wheel was born. Earlier this year, I unveiled the new design at the Detroit Motor City Tattoo Expo. The response was overwhelmingly positive. Artists were really excited to have a visual guide to go along with their tattoo inks. So many artists were interested in purchasing prints of the Color Wheel that I ended up selling out in just a few days but I knew I could do better. Since the avid color wheel features the entire line of eternal ink, I wanted to find a way to isolate specific color schemes and turn the color wheel into a color scheme visualization tool. In his amazing book, Color and Light, illustrator and painter James Gurney introduced the idea of the gamut mask. I found that the gamut mask concept works really well with my color wheel design. So here's how it works. By placing the mask on top of the wheel, The artist can quickly visualize a standardized color scheme and immediately determine the best color choices for the piece. Rotating the wheel underneath the mask will change the colors, but will still keep the visual relationship of the color scheme intact. Since the package includes a variety of masks, one of them is certain to get you really close to a working color scheme that you can use as a starting point in your tattoo project. The gamut masks that I've included with the wheel cover all of the standard color schemes that I teach in my seminar. In addition, the inside flaps of the package feature highlights from my seminar that will help you get the most of the avid color wheel. I know I love having my color wheel easily visible while I'm pouring out colors and tattooing, so I'm also including a low-tack adhesive decal of the color wheel. Just remove the backing and apply the print to any smooth surface. It's removable so it won't damage your studio walls. As I learned with my first project, Ornamental Archive, creating, producing, and fulfilling a creative project like this takes a massive amount of dedication and follow-through. I'm back on Kickstarter today because I believe that I've made something that is truly useful for tattoo artists like myself. I've had a ton of great feedback from fellow tattoo artists, and I'm confident that this product will improve the process for color tattooing. If you start with a good value study, and then use the Abbott Color Wheel to help with color choices, you will be amazed at the results in your work. Well, I hope that you will take the time to read through the rest of the info below and study the available rewards. Choose a reward level that works best for you and share this project with your fellow artists.
0: Thank you. Talk to me about the, the project. Obviously, it stemmed from feedback from your seminars Ultimately, it's become this this big project of, of its own. Um, talk about how it came about and and what you think the benefits are to using something like this
1: okay so the the first time I made a color wheel, I didn't have a method to actually get the computer or to put the ink colors in the computer. you know it was I was looking. In Photoshop and just picking colors and saying well, that kind of looks like lipstick red, I'll go with that. And um, in in order to make the final product for the out color wheel, I had to figure out a process to, you know, successfully and scientifically measure the precise colors of the mm-hmm. tattoo inks. Um, so that's kind of my my trade secret that I discovered. Um, I don't really share exactly how I did it, but it's important to know that I actually found a way to figure out the precise color of the tattoo ink and get that into a digital space. Um, so once I was able to do that, that was one of the biggest problems I had to solve. Um, went ahead and sampled every single eternal.
0: Are you a scientist? Like what the fuck, man? You're, how did this come about? Did you work with eternal on that? It seems pretty intense to figure all that and, and categorize all that shit
1: they they um they don't actually have the information that I have either I mean unless I give it to them which I, I would be happy to do at this point but um you know even their swatches that they have for their their advertisements are picked by eye so they they haven't actually you know done this or wanted to do this and, and as far as I know no one else has so that, um, no, I'm not a scientist, but I, I'm willing to to bring in the right people who know mm-hmm. how to do things and and spend the money and and spend the time and the effort to, you know, to figure it out. So you're
0: you innovating. Know, I, you're innovating in other areas of tattooing, even, man.
1: Right, maybe, maybe.
0: I mean, absolutely. It, it's all
1: fun to me. I I I enjoy this, you know, just making products, and especially when I can come up with an idea that it, it really feels like it fills a void. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it brings a lot of happiness into my life so you know it, but getting back to it you know I, I got all the colors measured and then it was a matter of trying to design a wheel that could hold them all you know there's like 150 and counting um, colors just in the internal ink line so I had to come up with a design that you know would allow all those along with color names to fit in one place and not look look like a total clusterfuck so you know I hired a, um, a graphic designer who's been You know, uh, working tirelessly with this, all on you know the promise that when the Kickstarter is successful, that he'll finally get paid. So, so he's really happy to know that the Kickstarter's been successful and he's going to get paid. And that's a big chunk of the twenty three thousand dollars that I needed to raise was just to pay him to, to, you know, to make all this happen in in Illustrator for me. And
0: there's um, so much more behind what you're doing, what you're putting out. Right? I mean, there's yeah, there's people that are involved that from the yeah from the graphics to Know, selling TV to all these different thing, all all this all these different people act as right. a team, and all of a sudden now you have this this out here, and that's great, man. It's yeah. it's cool to be able to take advantage one of technology and crowdfund for a project like this, and not have to come out of pocket right up front. You know, you're yeah. you're essentially allowing people to buy. You know, pre order. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's pre order, and it's cool that it's set up easy for us and you know talk about so far the kickstarter campaign how was it compared to your last one with the ornamental archive book
1: well I'm, i knew that it was going to be harder my last one was a, a book a reference book for tattooers but it would appeal to a lot of other people tattoo collectors and um you know craftspeople graphic designers and, and and i've actually sold i guess in total around two thousand copies of that book and it looks like it's nearly sold out Right now, so I'm going to have to figure out what to do, but um, it was it was easier, you know, right yeah. out of the gate. I, my goal was ten thousand, which was quite a bit lower than I really needed, but I, I didn't I didn't want to risk not getting the money because if mm-hmm. with Kickstarter, if you don't reach your goal, you don't get anything. So with the Ornamental Archive, I set the goal pretty low, but I reached it in two days, and then it yeah. ended up soaring all the way to forty nine thousand. So um, I knew that. You know, two things were against me on this one. The Abbott color wheel is just for tattooers, and it's a little pricier at $100 for the actual kit. Um, and you know, it's also specific to a to one brand of ink, which I hope that users of other brands won't let that stop them from buying it. But and you know, it's it's still an obvious you know thing that's going to limit the the size of the market. So
0: well, I think so, but I think the the knowledgeable tattooers, the tattooers that are going to want to have every tool at their disposal to really increase the quality of their work and increase the quality of what they're doing and maybe even, to a certain degree, set themselves up in a, to have a distinct style of their own. Not too, many day, not too many times these days do you find an artist who can, as you're scrolling through Instagram, see their work and immediately know it's them. You know, but yeah. I think with something like this you could you could really narrow down your color palette to something that's unique and something that is going to be looked at every day and I think it, I think it's beneficial whether you use eternal ink or not, you know, you can you can get something out of a product like this. And that's with, what I'm
1: told by people who you know, use other brands and have had a chance to use when you know, I released a poster of the the, the color wheel earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And so there there are people who have already started to adapt to it and, and use it in their process. And mm-hmm. a lot of people like uh David Bruhl gave me a great a great testimonial yeah. and um he barely uses any internal ink at all. And he said that it's still really helpful for him and he likes to even show it to clients to give them an idea of what he's thinking. Yeah. Um if you look behind me you can I mean, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to look on an audio uh, podcast, but my my color wheel is actually adhered to the glass next to my station. So I don't even go look through my ink cabinet anymore without looking at that first. You know, if I think in my mind, okay, I'm looking for something in the, in the magenta range. And then my next question is, well, how dark or light am I thinking for this particular use? And then so the, the color wheel is organized by value. So I'll kind of look for the color that's the exact value that I'm going for. And then if I see two colors that are right next to each other on the wheel and they're really similar hues, but one's a little brighter and the other one's a little more desaturated, then that's another consideration. So you've got hue, value, and saturation, all three characteristics of color that are visible in the sense of the entire spectrum of available colors that you have right there. you know, Beyond that, there's so many little ways that I can incorporate it into my process. And that's not even the gamut mask tool that is the new product. <laughs> um, the gamut mask tool was, uh, backing up a little bit, gamut masks were originally introduced by James Gurney, who wrote um, probably the most useful book on art that I've ever read called Color and Light. Um, and I mentioned it in the Kickstarter video as well. Um, but he put out a book called Color and Light that talks about the gamut mask and he actually recommends that painters make their own color wheels and then cut out their own gamut mask and put them on top. Um, but since no one else can make an Eternal Ink color wheel, um, you can't just paint tattoo inks onto a piece of paper and expect them to look right. So, so I decided that in order to get a gamut mask tool that I could use, that I was going to have to make it myself. And um, you know what here's the uh, I don't know if anyone can see it, but here's the prototype and you've seen it in the video. Mm -hmm. but essentially you cover the color wheel with another piece that has a hole cut in it and the hole reveals the colors that are that color scheme. So if you rotate the wheel underneath the gamut mask, the colors change, but the relationship of the colors stays the same. So there's five different options and ways that you can manipulate this color wheel and see different gamut masks. And then after that, you could actually start making your own gamut masks and and holding them over the wheel. um, let, let's say, Joe, that you decide that you know what, I'm always using the same exact colors in my tattoo. And what if you could make a gamut mask that revealed just those colors? Um, but then, in order to keep your Joe Swanson color palette in line, but change the colors, you could rotate that gamut mask into a different spot. And so, a different set of colors would show through the hole, but they would be the same relationship to each other.
0: Yeah, man, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, people can take this kind of product that is laid out, you know, hours and hours upon hours have been spent for the tattoo community to be able to take this and in a matter of moments isolate colors that will be distinct to you, essentially. You know, if you want to stick within those, if you want to, say, do a – and this can be – and th- what's cool about this product, Russ, for me as a tattooer is that it can be used across all niches within the community. Now, we know as tattooing has grown, we have so many different little small communities within our, our greater community. And guys like <clears throat> who you'll hear on, you know, uh, Sullen Radio with uh, that I'm going to be interviewing – you know, guys like Roman, guys like Rich Pineda, guys that are doing, you know, uh, Randy Englehart, those guys who are doing this insanely color realism stuff mm-hmm. can use that color wheel and flip their tattoos on in their, uh, on the ear and do it in yeah, a completely different... Yeah, you, you know? know. I can't
1: wait to see what people do with this thing. It's, uh, you know, it it basically allows you to really quickly see what colors we're going to look like Mm -hmm. and show your client what the colors are going to look like and, and then go ahead and get back to creating, you know, and, and you don't have to, you're not forced to use what's in the gamut mask. If you want to jump outside of that and use something else, that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've found that, that, you know, right off the bat I'm using this thing in every single tattoo and everyone in my shop is, you know just dying to get one of these in their hands you know they've all got the posters next to their workstations or you know and it, i'm always giving advice and and kind of consulting with them about colors and and that helps me to understand even more how to relate to other artists and how you know to kind of share the things that it, that i find useful with them um, when
0: when did this come become important to you when did color theory and the really really diving into color theory? When did that become important to you in your career?
1: Well, I, I would say that at first, when I first did my my seminar, I didn't actually know color theory in a textbook way. Mm. I, I, I knew it in a, a more personal experience sort of way. Um, but I couldn't teach a seminar on color theory without learning the textbook color theory and the names for all the terms, you know, I, I wouldn't want to sound like an idiot. So I did a lot of research and self-study at that point and, and prepared a seminar that you know combined what I found useful in my own work with the textbook color theory and then so over the years I've, I've made a lot of steps to incorporate the textbook stuff back into my work to make sure that in my seminar I can actually show you like here are these complementary colors in a tattoo and here's how that particular tattoo is more successful because of that um, so, and that, that, that all goes back to the seminar. And I'm hoping with the other yeah, color wheel that, you know, some people will want to take it further and take the seminar um, or take one of the webinars and get a deeper understanding. But this thing is sort of set up with all of that experience and knowledge just sort of codified in a little handy device so that, you know, if you don't want to learn all that other stuff, you can just pick it up and, and, and you'll still have a lot of information encoded.
0: Do you think that, um, how did you how do you deal with the criticism you know of a lot of people I've been criticized in two thousand and nine I put out my first d v d on an on art instruction <clears throat> mm-hmm. painting watercolor flash you know t- the traditional right. man i had Shanghai kate look at my uh d v d and she said that's the same way Mike Malone painted you know it's mm-hmm. this is the same stuff he had in his seminar that he taught at conventions. How do you get through And how do you, as, as, a, as an artist, deal with the criticism when somebody says, because I had some big names talk some major shit to me, you know, as a no-name guy putting out a DVD on how to paint. <clears throat> you obviously have, have some credibility behind what you're doing. How do you deal with the criticism that comes your way? And have you seen that criticism?
1: Uh, no, I've definitely seen it. Um, I, I like to actually listen to it and think about it. And try to understand where it's coming from, and, and try to try to kind of check myself and and make sure that I know at least in my heart that what I'm doing is for the right reasons, and that I feel it's gonna gonna be good for tattooing.
0: Um, is that the ultimate if, filter? You
1: know, yeah, you know, it, it sometimes that negative criticism it really kind of helps shine a light on a potential error that I could make, you know, with. With the Color Theory seminar, you know, there's it, – it's it's about something that is going to improve – potentially improve someone's artwork. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, you know, even if some kid who's, you know, tattooing out of his mom's kitchen decides to d- drop a few hundred dollars and get a color wheel in a seminar, like, you know, how can that be a bad thing? You know, how how is that negative to tattooing? Because I'm not the one selling him the, the starter kit <laughs> – Right. Um, you know, I'm the one that's, like, kind of stepping in and saying, okay, well, now that you're here and, you know, you may or may not have made the decision to start tattooing, like, you know, here, here's a resource that you can use to, to hopefully do better tattoos because, you know, to me, the real problem with scratchers is that, you know, they're putting bad tattoos on people and potentially, you know, health concerns aside, I just hate seeing awful tattoos And uh, and I feel like that's what's bad for tattooing. So let's fight the bad tattoos.
0: Mm -hmm. By giving them resources, because at this point, we can't control the flood of information. Somebody's going to get a tattoo kit. Somebody's going to get it and start scratching up their friends out of their garage if they want to do that. So Mm -hmm. I think so. what you're saying is give them the resources to better their art. And that's my take on it, too, as far as when I – Release my dvd it was like you can go out and get this type of knowledge at a real general level community college type course watercolor mm-hmm. course you can figure out you know as you have a knowledge about the tools how to do what they're doing it's not that it's not rocket science so right. i think i agree with you with <coughs> giving artists resources Regardless of if they're getting into the industry the way that we thought it should be get gotten into or the way that we got into it, you know, give them the resource to do the best work they can do. Let Teach me share them. a little
1: bit about my own my own history as a tattooer because Please. I, I did an apprenticeship, but it was after I bought a kit and uh, started tattooing out of my dorm room. And so... I had that experience of being 18 years old and just thinking mm-hmm. tattoos were awesome, and the guy who did my first tattoos, you know, was a, a scratcher, essentially, you know, he was tattooing out of his house and didn't have a, an apprenticeship at that point in time, he's actually tattooing now and in doing nice tattoos, um, but, you know, at that time, it was kind of a pre-internet era, and there wasn't as much information out there, and, you know, I ended up ordering a kit and started tattooing, you know, I read Huck Spalding's book and I was like, all right, I'm good to go. And, um, and it only took me two months of doing that to be inspired enough to say, okay, I have to learn how to do this the right way, you know, it it went from being a hobby to being something that was a serious pursuit for me. Um, and, you know, and look where I am today, you know, so Mm -hmm. I got an apprenticeship. I did it right.
0: What was it and, that what was it that struck you though in those few months? What grabbed your attention enough to say, you know what, I I don't want to just fuck around with this shit scratching on people out of my out of my garage or out of my house, out of my dorm room? What what pulled you in enough to say, I need to make a concerted have, effort?
1: I must have read an interview or you know, I can't recall exactly, but I'm sure that some member of the Tattoo community put out the information that if you want to do this right, you have to do an apprenticeship, and I said, "Well, that's me. I want to do this right, so that's what I have to do." Mm-hmm. And and I went out and I I went into a few shops and I tried to get apprenticeships, and you know they told me that it wasn't an option, and um, but I didn't give up and I kept trying, and then eventually I got one. So, um, you know, it, and and now I try to give back by actually being willing to take an apprentice. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've just uh, just got done graduating my two apprentices, Clinton yeah. and Savannah.
0: Badass and, uh, artists. In their yeah, own you right. You know what proud. I mean? I've met them both. Yeah. I've seen both their work. I continue to see it on Instagram, which is cool, because I can be out here in Lodi, California, and you can be out there in, you know, the Atlanta area. And I can see on a daily basis, you know, the the tattoos that your apprentices are putting into you know, their work into, And it, it's cool to see that and see top quality stuff coming out of somebody that you took a chance on.
1: Right. Yeah, man, it's definitely cool for me. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, how do I deal with the criticism? I, I listen to it, and I consider the points. And, you know, I try to avoid you know, getting into arguments with people who are really set in their ways, and, and I try to keep in mind that there's a, you know, there's a segment of tattooing that's always going to think I'm an asshole for the things that I've done, and and then try to accept that, and and uh, you know, take all the the praise that I'm getting with a grain of salt as well, and just try to try to always consider whether or not I'm I'm doing things that are positive.
0: Okay. Now, one thing that you've done positive, and I like your answer, man. I think that's good. It's, it's a PMA type of attitude. It's let's look at the best things that we can do for tattooing as a whole for this craft that we have. You know, we're, we're in tat- – tattooing is not what it was. It is today. Today is tattooing. Tomorrow will be tattooing. You know, you've had experiences. We've all had experiences in our careers, and tattooing are those, you know – some of those experiences to us. And I think it's cool that, you know, we can, we can bring positivity and we can bring our experiences to the new generation like Clinton and Savannah who are your apprentices and are, who are now doing, you know, professional tattoos in a great shop and, and doing them at a high level, and that's, that's great. Um, another thing that I've seen that you, do, that you did – What the fuck is up with this pudding thing? This is (laughs) something I came across just today, man. I'm doing my research, man. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. Extract (laughs) a little bit of cool information from a bad motherfucker like yourself. What is up with Mm -hmm. this pudding eating thing?
1: Um honestly, there's there is no pudding eating thing. Um it was was a short-lived moment at the Hell City um expo and it actually started at the asheville convention earlier this year but um man i just i hadn't had pudding in a long time and uh i had a pudding and i was like man <laughs> pudding is really good so
0: can, can um, we preface at what the
1: asheville show and i asked clinton i was like man can you go can you go grab me a pudding and i was like you know while you're at it if you're gonna go get me pudding you might as well find out who else wants pudding and, uh, and we, we just had a lot of fun asking people if they wanted pudding and giving them pudding. So we started recording it and, um, and it just, it just blew up into this just totally ridiculous, uh, project for the weekend. And we repeated it again in Hell city because, you know, it was, uh, something that we refined a little bit and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then, uh, Kevin from tattoo snob ended up, you know, hanging out and, and helping distribute the pit, the pudding and, He grabbed all the videos, and he edited the videos. So if if you were researching for pudding, then you would have probably seen his videos that he made. And it was pretty much a who's who of tattooers that were at Hell City eating pudding. And no one really knew, you know, why am I eating pudding? (laughs) You know, they were just like, all right, sure.
0: Well, this this is what I like about this. This is what I'm getting from this pudding experience. When I'm at the shop, daily basis, you know, tattooing, street shop shit, if you go to the corner liquor store and you're going to get yourself whatever you're going to get yourself, a little snack, a little candy, a little livation, you know, whatever you're going to go and, and get, you right. got to ask, hey, mm-hmm. who needs something? at You know, you guys need something from the corner store, right? right. That is great that you've, you know, implemented that into a convention scenario where, right. hey, all my family's here. Yeah. That may be half the booths. But, Clinton, yeah. you better go out and find out who needs some shit and who needs pudding specifically. So
1: Yeah, because, you know what, pudding is kind of a kid's food. And um, it just seemed like it was fodder for instant fun, you know, mm-hmm. to offer an adult a pudding and then to, just to see how awkward it was for them to either accept it or deny it or, or enjoy it without a spoon, you know, because <laughs> you just have to, like squeeze the pudding into your face all on that video too right and yeah of course we're taking video but we told them we were taking photos
0: so uh <laughs> that's so sometimes great.
1: they would just awkwardly pause with the pudding next to their mouth to give us a good photo but it was really video <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we see the full background of of people trying to act up for the pudding photos and everything we see this in live motion that's yeah. great. Is it chocolate pudding, vanilla, swirl? What are we going well, for?
1: Butterscotch, chocolate, vanilla, swirl. Um,
0: did they have a choice?
1: Yeah. No, we had bags full of pudding so they could pick what they wanted.
0: <laughs> How much did you spend on pudding?
1: Oh, man, it's only like $45 or something. It's so cheap. It's not even really food, I don't think.
0: No. It, get your goddamn self a pudding, man.
1: Well, I called I called Snack Pack, or the company that, that puts out Snack Pack, mm-hmm. the very next day. And... um you know, on Monday going home from the show, I think, and I was like, you guys have to check out what's going on in the tattoo community. (laughs) Tattooed people love pudding, and, you know, use this video that's on Tattoo Snob as your, you know, reference point, because you're going to see it's a pudding phenomenon, an explosion in pudding eating, and you guys need to get on board with this, and, uh, you know, of course the rep, the customer service rep at the pudding place was like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I I could maybe forward this on. I was like, you need to act fast. (laughs) (laughs) You're gonna miss the biggest promotional opportunity to hit pudding, you know, since Bill Cosby.
0: Oh, my God, dude. And, uh, you so probably I got,
1: I got nowhere with it, man. I, I think if snack pack would have been on board, I could imagine having, you know, like snack pack booths at the shows and, you know, having like, a, a you know, a tattooed pudding team. Um, it's a, street, but, team,
0: it's a yeah. street team, dude. It's a pudding street team, dude. It's a PST. Uh, you
1: know I mean, man, That is not my life's goal. I'm not trying to be the pudding guy. Um, you well, know it already, you know, it's just the fact that it's a conversation we're having right now kind of scares me.
0: You know um, what, man? It's the fun shit that happens at conventions. What other kind of fun shit besides uh, titty skulls and and drunk <laughs> drunk kisses of podcast hosts and shit like that? What <laughs> what other things do you enjoy about traveling to conventions?
1: Man, uh, I just I just love seeing different places, you know. Yeah. And, and I try to add a couple of days in extra if it's a new place I haven't been to. I'm about to go um, visit my buddy Joseph Scramstead from Dead Gods in Portland, Oregon, and um, you know I'm gonna—I've been working on a sleeve on him, and uh, I'm gonna be working the show, of course, and and teaching the seminar. But I'm gonna stay an extra day, and I'm gonna work on Joe's sleeve, and he's gonna take me over to the uh, the Oregon coast. And I'm gonna see that for the first time. So, you know, it, it's traveling and tattooing is something that I have to do a little bit more rarely now because I have a wife and three kids in the shop to take care of. So I just try to make good use of the time that I have and and enjoy life.
0: Do you have a, how do you balance that? Do you have kind of a a strategy with the certain shows that you do a year or?
1: Yeah, you have to say no to a lot of things and, and strategize about the things that I want to do. You know, it, it, it's, it's tough because, you know, sometimes you have a great time and you meet a lot of great people at a show and you want to go back every year, but, You know, maybe the the location of that show just doesn't have Mm -hmm. as much of a draw to make it worth it to give up one of my one little travel spots a year. So, um,
0: right, we talked about that. We talked about, yeah, we talked about that in Colorado. The location is everything. You know, the you know, we sit sitting around talking with Watson Atkinson, and and um, that night we, you know, you discussed that. You said, hey, if I'm going to go out to a spot, I want it to have the amenities that I need. You know, the show gets over at 11. I can't be going... If no restaurants are open at 11, what am I supposed to do? You know, it's a show that I'm not going to end up going to. So, you know, promoters, man, you got to think about these exterior things that we all, as tattooers and as the people that are fulfilling, you know, those (laughs) booth responsibilities at your show, you got to think about the external shit too. And I, I think that as promoters start doing that, the shows that have those things going on will continue to thrive. And the other little shows will end up going away or they'll pop up somewhere else and they'll have those amenities that we sure. that we like. I just got
1: back from the, uh, the Steel City Expo in Pittsburgh and I'd never been to Pittsburgh before this. Um, and that was a great example where, you know, the hotel was right next to the convention center and then there were like, Five amazing restaurants within like one block, and and we would you know go out and see everybody that was working the show. Was they were all out you know like partying on the streets, and and you know contrast that to a show where, you know you everyone gets done and leaves and you don't even see them anymore. Like <laughs> right. you know they just disappear and you're kind of like left all alone with no one to hang out with.
0: Do you like working the shows? Do you like tattooing at shows?
1: Yeah, I love it. I love uh, I love just like you know, getting involved in, you know, one shot tattoos and, you know, starting and finishing things in one day, which is kind of rarely happens at the shop. I, I end up doing so many large projects that, you know, my my style of tattooing even seems to be different at shows, you know, where I'm intentionally, you know, insisting on doing something start to finish that I can accomplish in one day. And mm-hmm. yeah, I enjoy it. It's nice to have people that, you know, stop in and see what you're working on and kind of follow up throughout the day and check in.
0: Well, I like it. Talk about that first, you know, the early parts of your career. I mean, it's 17 years in. I'm 18 years in. I have my own experience coming up in Monterey and, and working at a street shop. But talk about the differences that you see that were then and what you maybe miss about. What do you miss about that time?
1: Well, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I kind of miss doing walk-ins sometimes, you know. It's uh, – <laughs> well, I don't hate to say it, you know. There's times where – um it's, it would be nice to just sort of have a stress-free tattoo experience. You know, the, mm-hmm. the reason that I can't really save time to do walk-ins is, is just because I, I have to keep moving forward with my, you know, Russ Abbott art style. And, you know, I, I feel like I only have so many opportunities to get new pieces in and new clients in, and I have to take them. But, you know, also I have a shop, and there's people who are here depending on that money. But... Mm-hmm. um.
0: Do you, you know you th- sometimes
1: I, I like to just sit down and, and do a normal tattoo on a person who doesn't have any preconceived notions about who I am and what the style of the tattoo is gonna be or anything and they're just looking for a good tattoo.
0: Yeah. Do you find that your clients are receptive at this point, your your long term clients, the clients that like the Russ Abbott style or, or style that they have become familiar with you? Um, doing on them do you find that they're receptive to you opening up a little bit and maybe kind of pulling in a little extra different style from something or a different technique or
1: yeah I think I don't know that anyone comes to the table with me with a, a preconceived idea because I do several different styles that you know and I'm always putting out something that's different than what I've done in the past so that's kind of it's kind of the risk that you take when you get tattooed by me that you know it, it might not be what you were expecting, and I'm aware of that, and I try to watch out for you know for clients that are, are really not going to be cool with something wild and experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I'm doing now that I think is really going to set the stage for the future of my work is we have this new wall in the shop. I call it the one shot wall. And, um, you know, our shop just moved locations to Roswell, Georgia a few months ago. So we've got a a brand new studio and I wanted to incorporate, um, you know, I got all the tattoo flash out of the shop. I actually sold it all off um, and, uh, you know, kept a few of my favorite pieces. But, you know, we had flash on the walls that people weren't even looking at um, because here in Atlanta, it seems like, um, you know, our, our client base basically isn't interested in looking at flash. They think that it's like a trick (laughs) that we're trying to pull on them by even having it up. Like, like, Oh man, my buddy told me like, if you go to get a tattoo, whatever you do, don't get anything off the wall. But then for some reason, all the shops actually put something on the wall just to fool you, man, but don't fucking fall for it
0: because
1: (laughs) they're going to think you're stupid. (laughs) So
0: that's crazy. That's, that's something that you've heard. Somebody came in and said that their buddy told you, told them that.
1: I think it's something I've heard ever since I started tattooing. You know, it's just like the advice that, you know, someone might, if, if you wanted to do an all flash shop, Mm -hmm. at least in our market, I think you would have to just really, really push it, you know, push that narrative over and over and over again. And I love shops like Smith street that, you know, Mm -hmm. all the, all the flash that they have was hand painted by the guys who work there. Um, But that, you know, in the location of, of, uh, of New York city, you right. know allows for a lot of people to travel in and do that so you know our clientele is much more i guess diverse in their taste and our artists are diverse in their offerings so mm-hmm. it would be really hard to like have everyone that's here right now make a flash set and then just gladly let other artists tattoo off of it they would want to like keep that artwork for themselves like if someone came in they would they would want to be the one to do the piece so with that in mind we came up with the one shot wall and what it is is it's just a, a big kind of dedicated space in the shop that has a frame around it. it has lights pointing at it. And all of our artists and guest artists um, put drawings up of things they want to do. And their names are on the drawing. And every new customer is directed to check it out and at least consider picking something off of it. So, you know, if something gets done, we pull it down and it it goes away. If something sits up there for six months and no one cares about it, then we'll probably replace it with something new. And... and um, It's to me, it's a great hybrid between the process of like approaching a tattooer and saying, I want this, and the tattoo flash option because Mm -hmm. people are scared of getting something that someone else has. But it's kind of a problem if the opposite, if the pendulum swings the other way and everyone has to be so different from anything in order to be happy with it that you end up with just ugly images, you know, because there's never really going to be, in my mind, a better Black Panther tattoo, you know. It's like right. it, there are certain kinds of images that are crucial that they kind of remain the same. So, uh, you know, a lot of tattooers are doing that behind the scenes. They're, you know, they're taking these old flash images and they're redrawing them, changing them slightly, and, and giving them back to people and calling it custom, which, you know, kind of alleviates that that fear that the clients have that they're getting flash
0: um yeah that's interesting do you think that flash putting out a 10 sheet set of 11 by 14 with line drawings do you think that kind of thing that used to be the way to do it in our era do you think that today that's irrelevant
1: i think at least as far as a shop like mine i mean i know that there's shops out there that are that are doing it and they've got a client base that appreciate that um but at least as far as kind of the, the shops that were formerly all custom go, it's something that we would have a hard time pulling off. Mm-hmm. Um, but and you, it, it, just getting the clients to even consider Flash is very difficult at this point for us. So
0: You have to have an educated client. You have to have a client yeah. who maybe has been around a little bit and understands the history or the nostalgic quality yeah. that those – images can present the idea that maybe they represent and are and they're okay with those images being placed on them you know it's or they they get it customized you know you get a skull that's customized in a more western traditional style to include an image or a idea that is custom to them so
1: right yeah it's funny and and we know a lot of a lot of our clientele are just, you know, they have an issue with the designs on the shop's wall, but they're more than willing to just jump online and grab the first thing that Google serves up. In Why do which, you of think course, that every is? tattooer knows that, you know, they've seen that same image done a million times. So it's basically just like Flash. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, uh, I think it's just, you know, a little bit of a confusion that less experienced clients have about how maybe how Google works. You know, they f- think that like it's different every time and they don't realize that, you know, a million people search for the same thing and they all got mm-hmm. the same images served up to them. I don't know.
0: I had a guy but, come you know, in. That's t- the tattooer's <laughs>
1: job is to educate and, and explain that to people in a way that they'll appreciate. And instead of just driving them away and making them feel like we were just assholes.
0: Right. I had a client come in the other day. This kind of speaks to that point. And, he he! I did a big. He had a wedding band on his, on his, uh, you know, wedding finger, and it was initials or something like that with lines around it. And he he likes a tr- Western traditional style. <coughs> he has been tattooed before. You know, he's got uh, a right sleeve and a chest piece, so he kind of understands the, you know, the goings on and and what you can have with a custom tattoo and he brought in some reference for I did a big rose on his hand that one of the leaves actually dipped down onto his finger on his ring finger and covered up the the wedding band and then on his pointer finger it dipped down and did a little tattoo cut and it was like the stem went into his other finger. So now we're yeah. working now we're working up and he has these ideas of what images he wants to use and he says, you know, hey, do you want Um, reference do you want me to bring you reference and at this point I told him you know we don't need reference at this point you've kind of come to an idea that you an understanding that you like the American traditional style all you have to do is tell me now what images you like and I will create designs around those images that will fit your body and fit my style because my style obviously you've gotten three tattoos from me in the style that I've been in really liked so yeah. that guy just had a you know a paradigm shift in okay i don't need reference anymore all i need is ideas and he doesn't have to come in anymore with a google image or an anchor tattoo or whatever he got you know it, right. he can come in with just hey joe i want a panther and some traditional flowers right. and i'll draw that up in my style in a that is geared towards more of a Western traditional, you know, has a more Western traditional element to it, I may incorporate dot work. I may incorporate realism. Maybe that's the shit I'm going through at that point. But he understands and he's shifted. And I think there's a lot of clients that it takes it more to get them to shift to that point where they say, all right, Russ, I like your style that you're doing. I just want... A fucking rottweiler and some flowers and now right. you're going to take that idea and you're going to create something that is russ abbott style and and it's yeah, cool that's how i
1: like to work i mean there's there's a few things that i want um in most cases that will help me get inspired and come up with a design i i like to see the actual space that i'm tattooing so mm-hmm. if it's an email conversation i want them to send me a photo of the the actual body part that i'm going to be tattooing um and then you know, if you can give me three words, you know, like Panther Rose is two, that's enough. You know, I yeah. I've seen the space. I know it's Panther and Rose. Um, you know, I'm gonna be able to, to to make a great tattoo off that. If if it's a little bit more of a weird kind of concept that they're hoping me to produce, you know, where they're they're like, I don't know what I want. I love your work. Well, now I want to know. Well, my work's a lot you know, there's a lot of different variations, so what Russ Abbott do you like? You know? And, and I'll say, go to my portfolio, check out the most recent stuff, pick out your top three favorite tattoos that I've done. And then I feel like at that point, in, with a, you know, I can ask them a few more questions and find out what their hobbies and interests are or, you know, get them to point out tattoos from other people that they like. At that point, usually I can, I can come up with an idea. Um and if I can't, then that's an over but that point is to is to just to let them know that it's probably not going to work out at the moment and
0: right if you hit all those kind of points <clears throat> about space, idea style mm-hmm. if it doesn't come to you, it may be something that is you know or you do a quick preliminary sketch and they see it, and they're hesitant about it well. Hey maybe that you know somebody else is going to be a better tattooer and Matt Hodell talked about it on this podcast quite a few times about you know getting to the point or at least the last time that we were on getting to the point where you turn some of that down because you're trying to solidify a style that is unique to yourself was there a point in your career that you made that leap and stopped or If there was advice that you could give to a new tattooer, including your apprentices, you know, the the advice that you gave to them on how to, they have a specific style that they kind of probably resonate, it resonates mostly with them. How do you go from a street shop guy to doing more of the custom work?
1: Well, you know, in in Clinton and Savannah's case, um, one of my biggest fears for them is that they're actually sort of propelling into custom tattooer too fast. And, then, mm-hmm. and because they have demand already for the, the style of tattooing that they would you know, feel most comfortable doing, that they're going to get booked up and not have time to take things that are outside of their, their comfort zone. Because I think the first five years of a tattoo career, you know at least for me they they were filled with walk in tattoos and taking everything that came my way and trying to do it in whatever style seemed appropriate for the for the client and and you know not you know still kind of trying to figure out who I was as an artist but and but I really just I got excited about all these different styles I tried do doing uh, traditional japanese I, I tried doing new school I tried doing biomechanical um I did some tribal tattoos you know just whatever you know, And then I got into doing my first realism, black and gray portraits, um, American traditional. I did every style. And I feel like if I hadn't really focused on learning all those different styles, I'm not sure I would have came up with who I was going to be. Um, you know, I probably would have maybe ended up being a knockoff of, of two or three other people sort of combined. Um,
0: but you, you know, feel, feel the like education... Do you feel the education you gave yourself in looking at old tattoos, looking at new tattoos, breaking down the tattoos that you're seeing, in addition to looking at what the current environment around the tattoo community has to offer with technology and advancement in tools and things like that, do you feel that all that stuff, ideally led to where you, you you know the style that you're putting out now. So you had to pay a lot of attention to doing some black and gray tattoos, doing some traditional tattoos, doing, you know, breaking down these styles.
1: Yeah, I mean when if you if you meet a real traditional tattooer, you know, they've got some opinions about what is right and what is wrong and they're very, you know, very solid and grounded opinions that aren't likely to change, you know? And so I worked with people like that, that, you know, kind of gave me one set of rules. And then, then I went and I, I worked with um, people who did tattoos that completely broke all those rules on a daily basis. And then, you know, then I got to kind of sit back and say, okay, well, you know, is, is anyone right or wrong in this situation? And, and so, you know, it's that breadth of experience that, that I got from, looking at all these different styles of tattooing and and hearing the opinions and the thoughts of all these different styles of tattooers Mm -hmm. that, that ultimately led me, I guess, to where I am today, which is, you know, if, if anything, I'm just like kind of a fence sitter when it comes to tattoo styles, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I love doing things that are kind of realistic at times, but then I feel like maybe certain parts of, that technique should be left left aside. And then I love doing things that are really solid and traditional at times, but then I feel like maybe I could incorporate a little bit more, um, texture or lighting or things that kind of make it a little bit more exciting for me. So,
0: right. um, I, I think that you, you know, you say fence sitter in the term of, as I'm getting it, as somebody that kind of dabbles in a lot of different things. And I, I see it as, you know, I don't see it that way, man. I see it as a innovator in quality tattoos. So you can be you can be a fence sitter and as you say and you know dabble in some American traditional, you can dabble in some realism. But ultimately what you're doing is you're taking the quality portions of those specific niches and, in and styles and you're blending the best of those and you're putting out this new thing that is ultimately just as good, right? I see it, and I mean, I, I'm going to make it clear right here. I think that a guy that's doing that right now is Ron Henry Wells. He's taking a—Goddamn yeah. right, man. He is taking a style that was two styles, American traditional and tribal. He's impacted heavily by the big black— images that tribal provides us that Leo put in our brains that that Ud Hardy published in Tattoo Time magazine and these on the cover of of that one magazine, you know, that and he's juxtaposing the big snake with the big tribal. And Leo pushed it really, really hard with those with those Polynesian and, and Borneo styled pieces. And I think what Ron Henry Wells is doing today is innovating in tattooing. And he's taking both of those things, and he's, he's combining the elements that are good within them, and mm-hmm. he's making new pieces. So you can't qualify Ron's pieces as tribal. You can't qualify them as American traditional because they don't ultimately fit within the thirds rule. You don't have a third black, third color, third skin. You have black and skin, and it fits within the boundaries of this tribal. But, man, that guy's killing it. So
1: yeah, Ron's great. I have a tattoo from him, um, and uh, you know I had had the uh, the good fortune of meeting him when he was still an apprentice, and I, I followed his work all the way through till today. Um, you know, it's it's super exciting to see what he's come up with, and you can't. I don't think anyone could fault his work. Like the most tr- seriously traditional mindset of tattooer couldn't couldn't say that you know what Ron's doing is not gonna gonna hold up or no. is good tattooing no because
0: uh-huh. the most serious traditional tattooer is gonna say and this is what i was taught you know and i was taught by a guy who understood traditional tattooing from a military-based standpoint of get them in and get them out and get them done good and he said to me that the tattoo needs to seem finished look finished when it's in black and gray you can always come back and add color But ultimately, the tattoo should look finished walking out the door in black and gray. And I don't think that anybody would fault him in that, that these tattoos look finished. They don't look like they need color. They look finished in black and white on the skin. Right. Who's killing it right now that you like?
1: Oh, man. Um, I always struggle with this question. How come? uh, Look,
0: as you scroll (laughs) through... Mainly because
1: it's hard for me to remember names. Well, okay, let's
0: go Instagram then. You scroll through your Instagram because these are are the times that we live in, right? We don't look at magazines anymore. We don't look at websites typically anymore. We get our feed from Instagram, from Facebook, from, you know, these instant gratification social media networks. So as you're scrolling through your shit... (laughs) Who are you liking? If I go on Instagram, Russ Abbott, you know, at Russ Abbott, and I see what's he liking. Who are you liking right now?
1: Let's see. Um, well, I always say, I always say Timmy B. Um, Killing and I'll it. I always say Teresa Sharp. Killing it. Um, you know, and, and
0: new school I, people. I think
1: that the reason that you know, and both of those guys are friends of mine, and uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I've had the opportunity to mentor both of them, you know, there, there were times in the past and it doesn't happen so much anymore, but there were definitely times where, um, both of those people would, would ask me for advice and, you know, try to, and I would try to try to help them get to the next level. And and now I feel like, if I'm being totally honest, uh, I've been completely surpassed in so many ways, you know, because when I see their work and I get my jaw just hits the floor every single time. Um, um, but, yeah, there's, there's so, many, so many great tattooers on Instagram. You know, it's just like a daily, daily dose of humility, really. Um, do you think
0: it's good? Do you think yeah, social media and the connectivity we have and the barrage of stuff, do you ever find it too overwhelming?
1: I will say this. Um, I've, I feel like you know, this is just like a totally candid, honest moment. Perfect. It's Russ Abbott. I feel like personally, you know, trying to get the likes and the comments on photos has changed my tattoo style and and made me want to seek out little, you know, moments that work great in a square rather than, you know, maybe some of the more elaborate things that I was doing as far as full sleeves. Um, Because those tattoos, you know, no matter how hard I try to photograph them and show them off, they those large scale tattoos that I was doing, um, some of the more complex scenery that I was doing on tattoo sleeves, they, they just don't get the response online and, you know, I know that I shouldn't listen to that <laughs> and I shouldn't let that affect me but but I do, you know, because you start to like you know, judge yourself based on, on likes and, and comments and, and not even like, you know, it's just wherever you are, you know, like how, how many followers do I have so like how many comments should I be getting, you know, if the tattoo was good and how many comments would I be getting if the tattoo was just mediocre or, you know, um, you know, didn't have anything especially exciting going on. And, and it's just like, and I know other tattooers are going through this as well. And, 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 I just worry that, you know, we may be falling into a trap of, you know, sort of homogenizing and, and, and cycling through styles really, really quickly is another thing that I worry about, you know, because it used to take you know, Someone would have to – some change leader somewhere in tattooing, like say a Philip Lou would, would do this amazing tattoo, and then six months later, a photo would end up in a magazine, and then mm-hmm. a few people would see it, and they might emulate something about it, and then their work would end up in a magazine <laughs> six months later. So it was this long process of, um, of an idea being generated and then filtered down.
0: Yeah. Now it's like this. Now it's like tiny. Yeah,
1: it's condensed, and, and, and it happens maybe as quick as a week. Uh, you know, where someone some someone can do something and inspire a very tiny change, in just the way that you you know approach the leaf on a rose, <laughs> you know, and th- that new little leaf on a rose idea can just get like chewed up and spit out and repeated, and no one remembers who did it first, and and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just this feeling like, like where can it possibly go from now? Because it's it, things are happening too fast.
0: We were talking about innovation and, you know, as far as innovation goes, where do you think the future in tattooing is? Because you got guys like, and I've had a couple conversations with this dude, and he is one of these guys that is blowing minds, right? Rich Pineda. Mm -hmm. He told me that the shit that he's putting out, at some point... In the in the recent past, it became automatic. His tattoos were feeling automatic to him, mm-hmm. right? And what he was what he was trying to use to innovate and to push to push his tattooing. Uh, what he was using to innovate and push his tattooing was oil painting. And it's curious to me to be on that level of tattooing. You know, at the, at the highest level, like where you're at and where, you know, guys like Rich is, and they're, they're putting out these amazing pieces, how does that become automatic? And how do you push through at any level you're at, whether you're beginning it as an apprentice and you're drawing or you're tattooing as a street shop guy? Or you're tattooing at the level of guys like yourself and Rich Pineda who are at the highest, you know, at the top shelf type of shit. How do you push through that tattooing becoming, you know, having this feeling of too familiar with, mm-hmm. I've worked on the skin, I've used this color, I've, I've, you know, laid out this kind of piece before. You know, for Rich, it seems in my conversations with him that it becomes... I need to get into onto Canvas, and I need to mm-hmm. really work through some things artistically on Canvas. How do you do that? You've been very, uh, a big advocate of the Wacom Cintiq tablet. You've, been a, mm-hmm. you've said in an interview with, <clears throat> I believe That's it was exactly Fresh. That's
1: what I was going to say. I mean, that, uh, a couple of years ago, I got a Wacom uh, Cintiq. It's actually Wacom. I looked Wacom. into it. No but shit. But it's really hard to say that, but it's Wacom. Just to set the record straight. Thank you. Now let's go back to saying Wacom now because... It, no, it, Wacom.
0: It Wacom is good, man. It's All like right, Waka sure.
1: Wacom, Wacom. Yeah. So it's a Wacom Cintiq. Um, and what that is, is it's a giant computer monitor that you can draw on with a stylus. Right. So um, the old Wacom devices like the Intuos, that a lot of people are familiar with were... You know, it was a tablet that you put on the desk, and then you have to look somewhere else while you're drawing. And I found that, you know, trying to do line drawings and things like that with that disconnect is just impossible for me. Um, and maybe you know, I would just have to put in a ton of time to get used to it. But the minute I tried the Cintiq for the first time, um, it changed everything for me because, you know, now I can use digital techniques to arrive at my drawings. Um, and I can take all the time that I was putting into a paper drawing and erasing and you know, layers of tracing paper and I can, just, I can do all that stuff quickly and easily. And I use this program that not a lot of people are using and I would highly recommend you try it. It's called Manga Studio 5. Hmm. So Manga Studio was made for you – know, it came out of Japan. It was made for making Japanese comics. And it has some drawing tools in it that are just so useful for illustrating tattoos. Um, little, you know, some programs have a symmetry mode. You know, like uh, I think uh, Sketchbook Pro is one you're probably familiar with because you mm-hmm. have the iPad. Yep. Has a symmetry mode, so you know what I'm talking about. You, you lay down a line of symmetry, and everything you draw on one side reflects on the other side. So now, drawing skulls that are straight on or daggers. Um, this it, is the just age much easier it happens right in front of your eyes and you can right. instead of drawing one half and then having to flip it to see that you made an error in in spacing and that made your drawing look wonky you know right. you see it right there in front of you this is the um, age old challenge a bash, a little idea and just multiply it by a hundred for how many useful things are hmm. in manga studio um, and, and I hope to do a, a seminar or some YouTube videos or something sometime soon to just show everybody all the stuff I've found in this program but you know you can there's plenty of videos online already that you know are made for comics that will show you the features of of manga studio um, is that- that's what i use and it's just like photoshop in a number of ways all the all the uh, the shortcuts and key commands are the same um, so if you're used to photoshop you can start using manga studio pretty quickly and you're you're going to find that almost everything you can do in photoshop is there and and a whole lot more
0: but it's but it's more geared towards our industry you're saying
1: no it's geared towards manga it's geared towards illustrating comics but um they they just made so many little tools that are hmm. um it's mostly in the ruler section of of manga studio like um they have a ruler that lets you create concentric circles so you just you put a little dot in the middle and then every circle you draw is you know, centered on that dot. So if you're making, say, like um, like a ship steering wheel, and you want to have like a center hub, and then another piece that's a circle, or a wagon wheel, mm-hmm. you know, you make all those circles. And instead of having to pull out a circle template and just and lining it up perfectly, you just draw them like in a few seconds. And then when you're ready to make all the spokes of the wagon, there's a tool for that, you know. And a lot of people are using tools like this, and I'm using them to make um, mandalas. So, you, you know, you just choose how many reflection points of your pie slice you want, and you, you know, use the tool. And then you draw in one pie slice, and everything you draw flips and repeats and fills up the rest of it. Um, and so that one tool alone is enough to buy the program. And I think it's maybe like a $50 program anyway, so it's not like a, a tough one to afford. So you um, can
0: get into, <clears throat> for listeners that don't maybe know, tattooers or illustrators – that don't aren't familiar with the um how do you pronounce it
1: manga studio no the uh wacom
0: wacom okay that aren't familiar with the wacom cintiq tablet or that digital drawing deal you can have that that's about if you get the portable one for and i i think about this shit man in my own terms, right? I'm a walk-in style tattooer. I go to a shop. I do somewhat custom stuff, but I also do soccer moms who need infinity signs and, you know, family written and that shit. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you can get a portable, like a 13-inch, um, that yeah. does the same stuff as your 24-inch, which I believe is what you use and have at your yeah. home and at your office. Right. And
1: I do prefer the larger <laughs> ones. For me, once you open up the mm-hmm. program— and it has all of its windows and, and pallets of things that you need to access. Your your drawing space gets a lot smaller than that 13 inch monitor. Got it. Um, and and so you have to you have to be prepared for that. Um, and you know, but everyone's got their own preferences. If 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 you really want to do it right, I'd say um, go with at least the 22 inch Cintiq. Mm-hmm. That's the one I have at the shop here, and and, and it's it's plenty big enough. But it's around $2,000.
0: Right. So you're into it. It's not portable at all. (laughs) Yeah. Portable, if you're on the convention circuit, if you want to do that kind of shit, wherever you're at. Portable is...
1: I have to prepare ahead of time. You know, I have to have everything, you know, drawn up and ready to go, or I'm forced to use paper, which to me is, like, just the worst thing ever now. (laughs)
0: You you said it in an interview.
1: dry out after a a couple of seconds. You know, my digital pen never dries out. But, you know at some point my computer's going to crash <laughs> and you know, like well, and, and there's all those issues too. Yeah. So, you know, it's a good and a bad.
0: Sure. You have to, um, it's a financial commitment, obviously, you know, you're going to be into it at the minimum, um, with the Cintiq. The and you th- need a computer. The 13 is I think though you can, it, it, it is its own, It's self-contained. The companion, yeah. Yeah, the
1: companion. So there's a 13-inch Cintiq that you still need a computer to hook up to. Right. Um, And then there's the Cintiq companion. And then there's, I think, one called a Cintiq hybrid that's a tablet. So the companion and the hybrid are both self-contained units where Mm -hmm. the screen and the computer are attached. And so it's just, do you want a tablet that has apps, which limits you and won't allow you to get Manga Studio because they don't offer an app? Or do you... Well, basically a Windows-based PC. And, you know, really what most of us want that I've found is we want a Mac option. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to be able to use programs um, like Manga Studios. So there really isn't a good, like, self-contained option right now for me mm-hmm. because I want to stick with Mac. And I, I, I tried the um, Surface Pro 3. I just bought one of those and I ended up taking it back um, because it's, it's a little cheaper than the Cintiq companion. And I read some good reviews and I wanted to try it, but I didn't like the way the pen felt on the screen. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. My, you know, the, the, uh, the Wacom Cintiq pen feel is just
0: superior. We'll talk about that because that, that is one of the things there's a learning curve in the, the feel of drawing on tracing paper. And there's, you know, a lot of people still, I mean, our industry is young, man. You know, it's, it's super exciting right now because we're so young as a tattoo community and industry. And there's so much technology that's being thrown at us. <clears throat> but a lot of people have that, nostalgic, that f- nostalgic feeling about tracing paper still. So talk about sure. the difference between, ta- you know, drawing on tracing paper and drawing on the Cintiq.
1: How right, much well, of a difference is there? I will say this. I realize that I'm only talking to maybe twenty percent of tattooers, you know, and, and maybe the number that actually have this technology now is more like one percent now, it seems like. So we're right on the cusp of we are, you know, a bigger adoption of digital techniques. But people
0: are here's the thing though, Russ, people are dabbling in it with their iPads because an iPad, everybody's got an iPad now. So everybody can get that 18, you know, that seven dollar pen and fuck around with a free version of Sketchbook Pro, which I've used, yeah, and sure. it can eliminate but some of those think, things. I
1: don't think that that experience is going to be enough, you know, for people to experience what I'm talking about with they a have giant to, Cintiq. They have it's to get like, on it, right? They do, yeah. And, and, and it, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that, you know, I, I've heard some talk about a, a Wacom tattoo team. There's a new hashtag on Instagram. Get the
0: fuck out It just popped,
1: packed, um, popped up and... I'm really hoping that what is about to happen is that Wacom will, you know, have, will see the potential in the tattoo mm-hmm. community and, and really start to put some effort into reaching out. What I would like to see is, you know, a, a booth, a huge booth that shows with a whole bunch of computers and different mm-hmm. programs and tablets set up where everyone can just try it, and, and you know, have have someone to guide you through the features and get you past, you know, the and just give you something that's fun to do. And that's what right. I do when I have guest artists come to my house, um, or stay at the shop. I always try to t- take time and just show them a few of the tools and give them a chance to play with it. And so far, um, I think I'm responsible for probably selling like five Cintiqs now already in the last sure. few months, you know, because Why? they're going home and they're like, I'm buying this. Yeah. Ben Regal, uh, just left here yesterday and you know, he's going to buy a Cintiq. Um, you know it's it's so it's happening it's just as soon as tattooers i mean hopefully you know within the next couple of years there'll be an option that's a little bit more affordable and and maybe you know gets past some of these technology issues that are occurring right now that are keeping mac users from being able to to use a cintiq companion for instance Mm -hmm. you know if there were a mac based option that would be great um
0: because and, I think with the you know, with this the companion and the hybrid you can have either a um a Windows or um you or, know it's it's essentially that kind of a you know it's an operating system that's not Mac. So yeah. you know yeah, yeah. the compatibility isn't there. Um it's, it's just not, frustrating it's just I yeah. think it's just outside of you know, your daily tattooer, your guy like myself who's tattooing, you know, every day at a street shop, but do, does some custom stuff. That's the market that's huge, right? The, the custom guy, those are all the guys, you know, guys like I've had on my show. St- uh, Stefano Alcantara, yourself, you know, these guys that are doing high and really collector-style work, I think they're going to dive into that $3,000 price point. Like, it's no big deal, you know? But until uh, Wacom can come up with, and I think it is exactly what you're saying. They need to dive in and find out what the need of, just like you did with your seminars. They need to find out what the need in the industry there's many, is. There's a
1: pressure-sensitive iPad stylus that they're coming out with soon. If it's not out already, um, it's it's about to drop. So what that that would be, I guess, and I haven't looked into it that much, is Wacom is going to provide the stylus and then it's going to work with your iPad. And so now, now it's up to all the software companies to create apps of their programs that can be used. Um, like I said, manga studio doesn't currently come in an app. It's only a program. And and so, um, you're going to, I, I think, uh, I haven't tried it yet, but there's a program called art rage that some people use. Um, definitely sketchbook pro has an app. So, you know, if, if that Wacom stylus thing drops tomorrow, that's, those are going to be kind of the programs people will start to use a lot more. Um, but, you know, it's about you know, getting the artwork in and out of the tablet is a little bit more frustrating, you know, and I think there's probably new technology maybe that I'm even unaware of about that, but you do have to have connectivity with printers. You have to be able to, like, you know, if you're tattooing and you made your artwork in, a, in your iPad, you still have to be able to get it back out of there in order to print a stencil. So, you know, if you're at a show and the show's not providing a printer that you can connect to wirelessly... You know, you're you're still screwed. So,
0: right, and I've seen guys when when I was first introduced to this stuff through um, Stephen Johns, who's at Chapter X Tattoo in Southern California, and Curtis Gibson, who's at Black Umbrella Art um, down there as well in Huntington Beach. These guys these guys introduced me to this kind of technology. And when they when I first saw it in action, it was at a convention, and they did have a printer. You know, they had a a self contained printer um, that they linked up with their Wacom tablet. And, and it was kind of
1: important for, for a company like Wacom to get involved in the community and, and have that stuff available for those of us that want to work digitally at shows. You know, I think that would be wonderful if, if, if they had a booth and and I could go ahead and swing by there and print my stuff out Mm -hmm. or, you know, sit down and have a little time on the Cintiq to create some artwork. Um, And I think it would, it would benefit them very quickly, you know, and make yeah. it worthwhile
0: absolutely whack em. so hopefully
1: they'll eat, hopefully they listen to your podcast
0: dude whack em. seriously <laughs> holler at your boy og joe swanson at gmail.com yeah. at russ abbott on instagram at og joe swanson on instagram seriously like it's i think important as our industry changes and moves for industries like Wacom and the digital industries that are already tied into graphic arts but they're not tied into this industry that's growing rapidly and yeah. there are artists that can take advantage of and these technologies and you know companies like SoundCloud who I'm using for this podcast to get information out there you know we can partner and you know, you know it, it'd be interesting to me to talk about that as well, Russ, with you, because, you know, I've been dabbling with partnerships, <coughs> sponsorships, as, it, as it's called now in our industry. How has that experience been with you as far as working with, you know, FK Irons and Eternal Inc.? And, you know, please name off the other sponsors that you represent and talk about okay. that experience, because that is something new that artists like myself... And we, we haven't dealt with and, and, mm-hmm. you know, how has that experience been for you and what do you see in the future? as that as, as it grows?
1: Okay. Well, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I guess if you just want me to rattle off all the companies I'm involved. Yeah. With, go uh, for it,
0: man. Let's rep your sponsors.
1: Um, so there's eternal ink. Mm-hmm. I use all only their tattoo pigments. There's FK irons. I use their machines um, as well as their RPG, um, cartridge adapter tubes. Um, and so, you know, I don't, if you don't know what those are, they're, uh, allow you to use a cartridge for say like the Cheyenne Hawk on any machine. So they make a disposable version and a sterilizable version of, of the RPG grip. So I, I'm using those for my mags now. Um, I use, I use True Grips, um, and, and every single tube that I tattoo with gets covered in a, a nice, squishy, you know, memory foam true mm-hmm. grip.
0: Off the rails it goes. All right. Continue. I'm sorry, man.
1: Okay. Um, Kingpin Tattoo Supply, we get, you know, you're, you're sponsored by them as well. You know, yeah. they're, they're a great supply company. Um, you know, with them, it's, you know, I we get all the shop supplies from them. And I, I don't get them all for free or anything like that. But, you know, they... They take good care of me um there's uh opus gloves just use their gloves steadfast brand um you know they're a a clothing company that i've made designs for and uh god damn it
0: i'm so fucking sorry these motherfuckers are crazy right now hold on Wow. My father-in-law dropped off a file cabinet. That's was what was going on outside the door. Oh, okay. And they're, you know, man, this shit is home studio type, type style, you know. So the right. dogs are, I normally, this is what I this is what I plan. Because <coughs> they'll fucking bark. But I give them their bone. They have these, you know, cow femur bones that they fucking love to gnaw and shit. Keep them busy for hours.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh you know i had those i gave them those they surpassed their fucking interest in those and then when the guys outside the door they're just ape shit man it's crazy yeah. but i apologize no
1: problem.
0: it is what happens you know with the with the home studio that's why yeah. at some point y'all motherfuckers keep listening tell your friends because at some point then i can get a studio and we can not have these interruptions yeah <laughs> so we'll well, here's what I like about um, you know talking about your experience with you know we were talking about Kingpin, we were talking about Eternal Ink, we're talking about uh, Opus Gloves, <clears throat> you know they're involved. They're companies that have attached themselves to artists like yourself. And what do you think is good about these kind of companies that are involved in tattooing? What are they? What benefit are they bringing to you know artists like yourself and and to the tattoo community in general?
1: Well, there's, I mean, for, on a personal level, it's an obvious opportunity for cross-promotion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, they, those companies support us, and we support them back. And, you know, it's just about, like, spreading the word about, you know, who, who seems to be doing things in a way that we want to support. And, you know, there, there are some um, tattoo companies that, that don't have the right kind of ethic, you know, and maybe in my opinion, so I, you know, they might have, might approach me about supporting them and I would say no, you know, and so I guess you could, you could kind of use that as a a resource, you know, when you're trying to decide where to send your money. Um, Yeah, it's, it's a cool thing, you know, it definitely comes with some baggage, you know, you've, you've sort of got, you know, if you're, if you're sponsored by a certain company, then it might make it un- uncomfortable for them if you decide to use a, com- a competitor's product that you want to try something out. So I think that's one thing that makes some tattooers uncomfortable and, you know, and I've kind of grappled with in the past too. And I, I think that, um, you know, it- it's it's a double-edged sword. You know, it's
0: you but think- it's certainly
1: cool. It-, it feels great to be, you know, someone that, that brands want to associate with and it gives me a- the opportunity to... Um, to be involved with people that are great business people too and, 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 learn and kind of explore that whole realm a lot more because it's something that I'm interested in. And, you know, I, I want to continue putting out products and, 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 you know, I, these are, these are kind of people that, that can advise me and, and, you know, make certain connections for me and, and just kind of helped me with my journey too.
0: So, sure. Where did that business interest come from? Where does that, you know, as opposed to just, you know, knuckling down and being tattooing every day and putting out badass work and creating a body of work that's that's Russ Abbott, where do these outside yeah. business interests stem from?
1: I, I'm not, not entirely sure, man. It's just another side of my, my personality that I can't help but explore. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just, I have maybe like 20 crazy ideas a day and then, You know, it's sometimes one of them kind of just won't go away and I've got to kind of deal with it and try to, try to see if I want to put more, you know, take some of my time away from one thing and put it on that. You know, ultimately in the end, I'm hoping to be able to um, retire at some point, you know, and actually live a comfortable life. And, you know, from the beginning of tackling tattooing as a career, it was pretty obvious that. But, you know, there's not really a plan in place for the aging workforce that we're all a part of right now. And um, there's a whole lot of irresponsibility. And obviously, you know, everyone's not going to be okay Mm -hmm. when they get older, you know. And and that's a really scary thing. And I think we we as a community really, really need to figure out how to tackle that and, and try to find a way to take care of, you know, those of us that aren't going to be able to, and the old model was you eventually get good enough and you open a shop and then you have people working for you. And so when you're old and you don't want to tattoo or can't physically tattoo all the time, your eyesight might even go bad by the time you're 40, you know, (laughs) like it's, who knows? I'm 35 now and, you know, I I have no idea if I'll be tattooing 10 years from now or not, you know? And, And so I have to figure out like, how, how is my family going to survive with my choice to be a tattooer? So mm-hmm. for me, you know, I didn't necessarily trust the tattoo shop to do that for me. You know, we've got a great studio here and, and things are looking great. But I, I really don't don't know if everything's going to be the same. I mean, it's like every – it's just dividing so many times that I kind of felt like I have to have a plan, you know, and find a way to, to do something that's going to – help me build a nest egg and start putting away for retirement and and just, you know, diversify.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that, that sparks two things in my mind. One is I had a conversation with Lyle Tuttle, somebody the other night that, uh, this is a guy that's been in the business, you know, has probably seen the most of the business as, as anybody in America. That's still alive. 83 years old. Um, and he said that his, inter- his impression of the industry right now is it's going to bomb in five years. And <laughs> it's going to, you know, all these all these surface-level guys, the bar tattooers, as Ben Corn would call them, the guys that just want to be able to say at the bar that I'm a tattooer, that don't have the best interests of the, the industry at heart, they're going to fall off. And you may even be left with what, you know... Um, what Mike Malone said, you know, he said, we're not looking for the shooting stars. We're looking for the Sinatras, the long-run guys, you know, the the guys that hold true to a certain portion of history and move it forward. <clears throat> you know, so I think about that. I would love to hear your idea about where you think the future of tattooing is. And, you know, it, it, it also – um well, let's go with that first. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's see about where you think, you know, what is happening with our industry? Man, it's booming, right? It's crazy. It's an exciting time, but it's a scary time for a lot of people because I think it's so young that a lot of people are stuck in that nostalgic phase of, man, this is what it was when I came up. It should be that. You know, right. how do you approach that? with guys you're bringing in
1: that's a a futile way to look at it i mean it's it's changing whether or not we want it to or not um and and there's gonna be there's gonna continue to be things that happen that are out of our control like the tv shows were out of our control and now you know it's it's that doesn't seem to be slowing down you know there's a a new one all the time and and whether or not you think it's a good thing or a bad thing it's it's changed tattooing in in certain ways um like the digital technology thing is likely to really change tech, you know, tattooing. I know that things like Instagram, these are obvious things that we know have changed tattooing in a very, very, very short amount of time. Um, but I, I think one thing that's really useful to point out in this conversation is that there is not a defined finite number of people that are going to get tattooed.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and that, that metric is going to change. It's either going to increase and more and more people will get tattooed or less and less people will get tattooed. So the thing that I'm afraid of is that there's just this cultural shift and that in the next generation of, of kids is just not interested in tattooing because that is like so 2014. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, Do you think that's yeah. going to happen
0: though? Do you think that marking, indelibly marking our bodies with memories, of our lives, of important things in our lives. Do you think that's really going to um, die off, or do you think it's just going to minimize and the people that are educated about it and the shops that are, are educating people about what's out there and not just right. that we can do one the same.
1: W- one of the things we have going for us is that it's not easy to get rid of what we're doing. You know, So uh, there's, there's people that are going to feel weird if they've only got one sleeve done they're gonna feel like you know i guess i'm already committed to this you know (laughs) i'm gonna still there's always gonna be that core group of fans who support um you know i guess the high end of tattooing it's the street shop level stuff that i guess i'd be more worried about um you know that that's probably where the most competition is gonna Mm -hmm. gonna take place and 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 i guess for me, what I would advise someone who was in that position to do would be to try to find a way to to, to switch to the more custom side of things and try to improve themselves and, and get to the point where they could appeal to a, a, a collector who's looking for someone who's, you know, got their own style and or, you know, works on larger pieces mm-hmm. and all those things. Um, I think
0: it's, it's exactly what I've heard um, – resonated on Troy Denning's podcast, Invisible Radio, and that's he's talking to Chris O'Donnell, who had specifically and intentionally, I believe, looked for a professional clientele. You know, people that had money, that had a higher, maybe a higher visual sense of art, and knew what he was doing is at that level, that you're going to collect from him, you know, this back piece or this sleeve or quarter sleeve or one shot piece. But it was, he actually went out and solicited those, those people mm-hmm. and intentionally tried to create his, his business around that, a more professional clientele who knew what they wanted, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I would also suggest that, that people diversify their skills, you know, just mm-hmm. don't, don't count on tattooing to take care of you your whole life and miss the opportunity to educate yourself about other things that are going on and are exciting you know and that's that's all I'm really doing is I'm I'm just I'm looking for opportunities that are within my scope and my expertise and and you know deciding to pursue some of them and and just having fun with it too you know because if if it's not enjoyable for me then then that just ruins the quality of my life and and those around me so
0: right are you, know, you doing just,
1: that just try to keep Moving forward and having fun.
0: Yeah. Are you doing that with other art forms as well as, you know, oil painting or watercolor or, you know, do you find that the creativity that you need to drive maybe that, that the tattooing, which is, mm. which is also bringing in money, you use the creativity of these other projects to push that, or is it being pushed in other art ventures as well?
1: Uh, I mean, the, the outside – Ventures the seminars. Um, I'm preparing for a uh, uh, a big seminar, the Worldwide Tattoo Conference in in Venice in a month from now, and that that has got me totally stressed out because I'm going to be on a stage with you know, with Shige and Nico Hurtado and Car- Carlos Torres and Alex DePasse. Um, I feel like I'm leaving someone out, um, but either way, it's a who's who's list of right. you know some of the the greatest tattooers on the planet today, in my opinion, and I'm not really supposed to be there, you know, <laughs> like somehow I've, I've, I've finagled my way into uh, being on that stage. So like, I'm, I'm really stressed about it. I want to make sure I'm bringing something to the table that's going to, you know, you know, leave people thinking well, there was a reason that Russ was here too, you know? Sure. Um,
0: the Abbott color wheel is that particular thing that you're going to be bringing over there and the theory behind it. I mean, yeah. I, and honestly, man, if, you know, I believe that you you have by all rights to be, you know, by all rights you're standing there and it is, um, you're on the same level with those guys. You know, because you're, you're innovating and you're bringing these things, just like they can bring technique in color realism and their theory behind that color realism, you're bringing a theory in tattooing as well. You know, you're bringing that information out that's... Right. Incredibly helpful to a lot of people. So, by all rights, man, you're standing Thank there. You. There's you're standing there. Uh, you know, head raised high for sure.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it's still like the, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I just have to figure out how to. One of the things I feel like I'm good at is connecting with with people on a certain level, and you know, taking information that may be complex when it's presented by someone else, and finding a way to distill it down to you know, where, um, the journeyman can, can kind of grab hold of it and get some use out of it, you know? And so I guess that's kind of the role that I'm going to continue to try to fill. It's just, you know, just simplifying basic information, but making it really useful.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you know, talking about a journeyman and tattooing as a craft, do you think that tattooing will ever come together as a community enough to start A journeyman program, an apprentice program, similar to you know other crafts, electricians, carpentry, those things. Do you think that would ever happen? I mean, back as far as
1: I think it's really you know it it I've seen little sparks of it happen over you know the course of my career. I think the problem is that there always seems to be there's a lot of factions in tattooing, and you know like. It, what you're talking about takes a very charismatic, powerful kind of figurehead to mm-hmm. be the leader, you know. And this is a very kind of like leaderless endeavor that we're a part of, you know. Like, sure. it, so, for, you know, if it's a if it's a company that tries to do it, then then that company has competitors. If it's a tattooer that tries to do it, then that tattooer uh, is only appeals to a specific style, mm-hmm. and in people that think that style is dumb don't want to be a part of it so right. that that's what's really fighting against um a sort of larger grand organization um maybe the only thing that would really make it happen would be an outside force like like government regulation you know kind of drawing everyone together
0: that's um, kind of happening as far yeah. as you know but it is still it's, it's so, so separated, separated. Count by county <laughs> you know county. No. Mm-hmm. you have LA County, LA County close to where I'm at and they pay what I've LA heard is 800 managers, per practitioner and 1200 per, per, facility. per facility. You also have, um, have, uh, where I'm at, it's 125, 125 bucks, bucks per practitioner. Per you know, mission. I don't know what the facility is here, so facility is here but, but you know, it's so different. It's Everybody it, across the board, it's different.
1: The board different. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, It's, I, when, uh, when the, uh, tattoo school TV show came on, you know, that was, that was a thing that inspired a lot of people to say, okay, we got to stand up, we got to get together, we got to try to, try to fight this because this is just fucking ridiculous, you know, (laughs) like this goes against, we can all agree that, that, you know, a show about students learning tattooing in this kind of environment is bad, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's sending the wrong message and, and, uh, we need a voice. And, and, you know, then even, even that little spark, you know, kind of led to something on Facebook that I was, I was watching and contributing to. And and then, then the urgency and the sense of urgency that inspired, it kind of got lost and everyone just kind of like argued a bunch about what the organization should be called. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, Shit, then, and, then, and then people just sort of check back out again. You know?
0: Right, right. It's, it's, it's the
1: natural um, ebb and flow of that sort of situation. Um, and, and like I said, it just is going going to require someone who's charismatic and powerful enough to to make it happen, who wants to put in the effort. And I don't think that's me, um, you know. And I, I'm I I would love to see whoever that's going to be step up, and sure. I would try to throw in with them and support them, but.
0: You it's know, a big computers. task, you know, because it's not, it's not, um, it's not like plumbing or it's not like electrician, you know, el- yeah. electrical work. It is a different type of craft, and it and it includes some different elements that you can't necessarily quantify on paper and qualify on paper. And yeah. so, you know, it's a difficult thing. I think that we're an exciting time to be tattooers. I think that, you know, putting forth the proper effort and the proper ethics but being open to new ideas is is key in where we're at now you know getting behind these tattooer promoted things and putting money back into tattooing creating new revenue sources for tattooers that's what i hope to do i have some ideas that i'm going to be as sullen radio as this you know this is the last podcast that i'm going to produce And distribute uh, for the Propaganda Podcast for a little bit of time. I want to focus on my my efforts on Sullen Radio, and there's some other ideas that I have to create new revenue sources for tattooers. And I think with technology as we embrace it and we move forward with it, it's exciting to be a part of it. And for those people that are really interested in not only the nostalgic aspects of tattooing, but pushing it to the future and still maintaining a quality of work and a quality of uh, professionalism with clients and things like that, hey, all the resources, resources are there and we just need to take advantage of them as community. And hopefully, as people ty- start diving into this new technology, a collective voice will come through and the things that are you know, going to promote good tattooing are going to rise to the top. And the things that are going to, you know, create fuckery in our industry are going to fall by the wayside, you know, because that's what we're supporting as a collective audience.
1: Right. So, for sure.
0: Man, you know, Russ, I appreciate you coming on, dude. It, it has been nearly two hours minus the fuckery with my dogs. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's exciting to talk to a guy like yourself who's, again, as I said it before, it's on the cutting edge of tattooing. And as we move into a new... Um, as I move into a new venture and new project with Sullen Radio, I hope to, you know, have you on there uh, as well. Absolutely. And introduce, you know, hopefully maybe a little bit of a collective voice to um, what we all want in tattooing. And that is to, is that, as I see it, to have a filter, like Ryan Smith from Sullen actually said, you know, he said, Sullen is about you know, representing a lot of things, but everything falls through that tattoo filter. So as we put things through that tattoo filter and we look at the ethics behind it and the history behind it and what we have to offer in the future ahead of us, you know, let's come together and support each other. And it's exactly what you're doing with the Abbott Color Wheel. And I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you bringing innovative and great products, you know, and putting them out um, and being accessible to other tattooers and using technology to do that.
1: Yeah, and thanks for having me, Joe. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate everything you've said and the opportunity to, to come on and, and, and talk a little bit and share what I'm up to, man.
0: I'll, sure. I'll definitely be a
1: guest on uh, what's it going to be called, Sullen Radio?
0: Sullen Radio with Joe Swanson, man. You know, it, Great. it's what I'm hoping to present to people is a premiere art-driven podcast. You know, as we're looking at podcasts in our current state with guys like Corolla and, you know, a lot larger platforms that are putting out content, you know, I want to be at the top of that. And that's what I'm hoping to bring. You know, I'm going to be at some live events. I'm hoping to be able to be at the ta- – I'm partnering. Well, let's, let's get it out there, man. I'm partnering with Tattoos Cure Cancer, which is Adam Guyatt's, uh from Eternal Tattoo. It's his organization. I'm going to partner with them this next year and kind of continue what I was doing with the Propaganda podcast in the 50-50 program where Mm -hmm. the guest would uh, suggest a charity and 50% of the income or, you know, any donations to my show to support my show would be donated on behalf of the guest to a charity. So that charity this next year with Sullen Radio is going to be Tattoos Cure Cancer. And so anything that comes in through via ogjoeswanzen at gmail.com at this point for PayPal Um, 50% of that will be donated on behalf of the listeners to Tattoos Cure Cancer, which is, you know, a great organization that's um, holding an event on November 16th down in Santa Clarita at Eternal Art Tattoo. And, you know, they're raising awareness. They're raising money um, to fight this thing that a lot of us have been, you know, cancer that a lot of us have been affected by. So it's exciting for me to announce those kind of partnerships too, these podcast partnerships as I'm calling them with charities and different companies, um, like I'm involved with now, you know, that we can hopefully push the, the, the things in tattooing that guys like yourself and guys like, um, you know, myself want to see, um, pushed and the positivity being pushed out in tattooing and, you know, fuck all the bullshit, man. Fuck all the, you know, the politics that happen that surround our industry, that prevent some of this innovative stuff from happening. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's my take. And that's what I'm hoping to bring with Sullen Radio is a, is a place where I can introduce to a specific audience like the Sullen community and um, the greater tattoo community. I can introduce a, a wider um, audience to guys like Ron Henry (laughs) Wells and guys like yourself. And man, for fucking sure, guys like Nico and Rich Pineda and Roman and, you know, Big Gus and those guys that are doing it every day, you know, for Sullen. So, you know, this is the end or the pause of a, of a moment in, in my career with Propaganda Podcast, and it's, you know, a movement to taking this project that has a great audience and, you know, continuing to try to push forward the positivity that I started this thing with, you know, to uh, um, tattooing so it's exciting for me man I, I appreciate the support of guys like yourself and and everybody that has listened to the show and been a part of the show um, you know from all the guests you can find them all most of them uh, I hope to get the rest of them up on uh, SoundCloud and and uh, that's where you're going to find the new show Sullen Radio on iTunes and hopefully Stitcher Radio and all those major outlets on my website therealjoswanson.com and sullenclothing.com so thank you, Russ. I appreciate it, man. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I I apologize for the interruptions. That is how it is. So
1: thank you, Joe.
0: Hey, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much, and good luck. Where can people find um, you and find out information about the uh, Russ Abbott um, Color Wheel?
1: Okay, uh, well, InkandaggerTattoo.com is the shop site. So. You can communicate with me about tattooing through there, um, at Russ Abbott on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, The Abbott Color Wheel is currently on Kickstarter for funding, but only for four more days, so most likely by the time people hear this, um, it might already have ended. But you can still go to kickstarter.com and search Abbott Color Wheel, and you can see you know, uh, the project video that Selen TV made and read all about it. As soon as I, it, it has been successfully funded at this point, which means that it's going to happen. So it might take a few months to get it produced. And as soon as it's available, you know, they'll probably, uh, maybe the inkandagger.com website, inkandaggertattoo.com is still going to be the best place to kind of go purchase the Abbott color mm-hmm. wheel, um, you know, moving on in the future, but of course it'll be distributed by eternal link and it'll be hopefully picked up by other reputable suppliers as well. So right. um, I'm hoping to, to get this thing in the hands of everyone who wants it and and keep moving forward, maybe with a, uh, an app or some sort of, uh, you know, digital component of this. Um, one of the cool things that I'm offering to all of the backers of the Kickstarter that I just sort of added on is a pdf download of the wheel itself so if you're into digital you can pull that file up into photoshop or manga studio and you can just use the you know um the color picker tool and actually paint or illustrate with eternal ink colors wow Um, and so you can have a direct correlation now between the artwork you're doing digitally and the tattoo pigments that you can actually use so
0: amazing there's a lot of
1: stuff to push into
0: yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely amazing. Really great stuff. Um, find Russ on Instagram at Russ Abbott, um, Go check out this Abbott color wheel. It is, it is innovative. It's cool to see this kind of product being um, offered to the tattoo community. I thank everybody again for supporting the show. Um, I look forward to putting out many great shows, um, and many great conversations like this with Sullen Radio, which is going to drop November 4th. Get ready for it. Sullen Radio um, with Joe Swanson will uh, be available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, um, sullenclothing.com, therealjoeswanson.com. And uh, it's going to be fun, man. I'm, I'm excited to put out new content and really get involved travel a little bit and get out to see some of the listeners and shake some hands. So um, thanks again, Russ, for coming on. Everybody, thanks again for listening. And we'll see you on Sullen Radio with Joe Swanson dropping November 4th. And thank you very much. Stay hustling, motherfuckers. For real, though. Stay hustling.